What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. Welcome to another episode of Three Yards for Carry. I have Simon Clancy here with me. I have Chris Kaufman here with me. So we have a full boat for this very depressing edition of Three Yards for Carry. Well, gentlemen, let me just say this. This Sunday, I went from on top of the world, fist pumping, giving screams out at my home bar, having my wife come down stairs and tell me, whoa, this team looks pretty good. Thank God Ryan Tannehill's back. To having my wife come down and screaming at me, why does this son of a bitch keep running the ball on third down? (laughs) What did you make of that game, Simon? What were your ups and downs? Put me where you were. Um, I was in my lounge watching the game. Um, I mean, I'd seen that movie before, and I said it to my girlfriend who was sat with me and uh, you know I think we'd all seen it before and I don't think a 10 point lead in the fourth quarter really means anything and actually I tweeted about it it reminded me of the situation against Cincinnati we were up by 10 Tannehill was playing well we looked in control um, and the question I posed was whether or not we could get this one over the line and deep down I think I probably thought that we couldn't if I was honest with myself um, and lo and behold, it, it happened. Um, it was quite astonishing in a way, in the, the way that it broke down, because I thought we played generally, we played situational football very well. I thought, um, you know, offensively, I thought we chugged along fairly nicely. Um, defensively, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think we played particularly well. Uh, and I thought that there were times where it just looked like we were, you know, a hot knife through butter, um, or butter even. Um, and I suppose it, it, in the end, it came down to those final two drives that everybody is focused so so rigidly on. Um, and actually, I don't have a problem with the with the the play calling of the penultimate drive. I think everybody was expecting run on first down, and that you know, mm-hmm. I, I certainly know the Colts were, and they they had a run blitz, and we had pretty much the perfect play called against it, which was a screen. Um, but the problem problem was that as is generally the problem, we cannot block on the perimeter. I think we are the worst perimeter blocking team in the league. I think if, if the linebacker gets blocked, Chris, I don't know what you think, but if the linebacker gets blocked, I think we break it for, you know, it doesn't, don't think it goes for a touchdown necessarily, but I think, you know, we, we certainly flip the field. It maybe gets up to the 30, the 40 yard line. And I think we're in great position all of a sudden. Then you can start running the ball. I don't have a problem with throwing on third. I didn't even have a problem with throwing on second down, frankly. What I did have a problem with was the final drive, uh, mm. and, you know, taking the ball out of the quarterback's hands, certainly on third down. I mean, it's been an absolute bone of contention for us generally that the, the, the commitment to mediocrity on third down, the commitment to never pushing the envelope on third down, the commitment to taking it out of the quarterback's hands and trying to complete it. You know, and I just think it was a bad call in a bad situation. Um, who who thought that the, that the inside handoff was really going to make going to pick up ten yards? I, I I didn't. I just thought it was an utterly maddening decision. With three minutes left, you're essentially going to kick the ball 
to a quarterback who's absolutely on fire and is you know is looking for his for his eighth straight game with three touchdown passes, knowing that they've got a Hall of Fame kicker who can come in and boot the winning field goal. I just thought it was a ludicrous decision. I'd rather lose with Ryan getting picked off or getting sacked for a safety or whatever. And I know Gaze talked about being in that situation when he was in Denver and the same sort of thing happened and Peyton was sacked for a safety and he ended up losing the game. But, you know, that was five years ago. Let, you know, you've, you've got to take each situation as it comes. I, I, just, I just thought it was such a maddening, maddening decision that really cost us. And I, I was just ultimately utterly, utterly frustrated because, I mean, that really and truly, I, I think, knocks us out of the playoffs. I think so too. And uh, on that end, I had the numbers earlier today and I posted it on one of our threads in on Twitter with, with the network. And before that game, a win against the Colts would have made the Dolphins the clear-cut favorites for the sixth seed in the AFC and would have made them the favorites with nine wins. Now – it's almost essentially impossible to get in with nine wins. Their number went from 47% with a win to 18% if they win nine games now. So now they're basically forced to win 10. So I agree with you completely. That loss was as final as you can get. The I think it gives us a 4% chance now. The yeah. <laughs> yeah, the playoffs were essentially on the line. You win, you were probably in. It would have taken a collapse to not get in. You lose, and you're out, which is where they are right now. They're out. All right, Chris, what did you make of this? Well, I don't think it, I don't think it would. Have, so I I don't know that they were going to be in if they made if they won a game. I, I'm a little bit surprised that they made the game as close as they did. They were they were the Indianapolis Colts were in their own house. They'd been on a hot streak, and uh, the Dolphins, you know, were getting their quarterback for, back for the very first time, and they were the Colts were favored by nine points I mean this this was there was a reason they were favored by nine points none of us I mean I didn't give them much of a chance to win the game it was seven uh, by kickoff just for I saw I mean I still saw it nine but w- whatever it was uh, uh it was uh it was more than a touchdown I think and and I not a lot of people gave them a whole lot of chance you know that seven eight nine points uh on the Vegas uh spread equates to what, what percentage chance of win when is that i know you know this alf it's something like 17 percent or something like that no, it's, a um, little higher, it's a little higher than that it's around 22 percent 22 percent okay i mean nobody nobody's really given them a chance to win and yet here we come down to the final drive and they'd gone to overtime if they just would have called the holding that was clear to everybody except the officials on uh, on andre branch on that um that one you know the the Andrew Luck vintage play um, that he made on the final drive, so so they weren't they weren't supposed to have a chance in this game, and they really battled. They got out to a ten point lead. Um, they gave it up. Some unfortunate things happened. Some things that tend to happen when you're on the road and the other team is at home, and they've got the momentum and the crowd on their side, and and those sorts of things. Um, I, you know, I, if this is there's there's such a finality to it because this is the game that po- probably seals the playoffs for them. But I think further games we're probably going to do that. You've got the Bills resurging, the Minnesota Vikings resurging, uh, the New England Patriots being as tough to beat as ever. You've got the Jacksonville Jags are sucking right now and in the midst of a bad losing streak 
um, and we're going to play them probably just in time for when they've already when they've kind of figured it out and turned it around a little bit. Uh, that's just the way things go. So who knows what would have happened in those final games? I just thought this was an entertaining game. It went back and forth. It was nice. It was on the road. If you took this in a vacuum, um, this would just be, you know, hey, a tough loss. Uh, it, not as bad as the Cincinnati loss. And it's interesting that you bring up the Cincinnati loss because that was a game that Ryan Tannehill gave away because they gave him they gave him the ball too much in the final um, in the final you know bit of the game. And he gave two defensive touchdowns to the uh, other side. And that's why they won the game. And, I, you know, I, I hate to put that all on Ryan Tannehill, but that's, that's what happened. I mean, they, they called pass plays and they put the ball in his hands and the Cincinnati Bengals went out and took it. And I think that Adam Gase was trying to avoid that here. And maybe he went, he swung the pendulum too far the other way. Uh, something that I've been pointing out to everybody today is that this was that final play that everybody's talking about, third and ten on their own six-yard line where they they ran a draw play. No, they weren't trying to convert that first down. I, you know, whatever Gase says, no, he wasn't trying to convert that first down. He was giving up for the punt. That was that was what he was doing. Uh, he was he'd been doing that all virtually all game. He was not going to take any risks on third and nine, third and ten third and 12, third and uh, 15, um, with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback coming together with, you know, his shoulder tied together with a shoestring. I, I don't think he was going to take any risks. And that he made that clear throughout the I, – I tweeted about it in the mid-second quarter. And then that ended up being what happened in the, um, in the, fourth, uh, in the fourth quarter at the end of the game. They were not going to take any risks, so the final plays were not surprising. I just think the more surprising thing was that they're actually in position to try and win that game. And yeah, it's maddening when they don't they come up short, but um, but I think that they played generally pretty well. There were some things that uh, that you know continue to drive me nuts about Gaze's play calling, as everybody else about uh, Matt Burke's uh, tendencies on defense um, and their. Certainly injuries are playing in a, a, a role in all this. You know, like I said, put it in a vacuum and take it out of context of the rest of the season and, and not put the make or break status on this or whatever. It's just an entertaining, you know, near miss on a road in a tough place to play against a, you know, a, a hot team led by Mr. Suck for Luck himself. I mean, so um, it's a tough call. It's a tough game. I think the, the reactions to it have been a little bit, more emotional maybe and um and definitely some of the arguments lacking the necessary context and nuance and that was a point that i tried to make on twitter earlier today right you tried to make a point involving nuance on social media in the aftermath <laughs> of, in, in the aftermath of the miami dolphins defeat. Yeah. who is obviously the biggest asshole here me <laughs> you, crazy, you crazy fool now i said something on twitter that at the time, I thought it was profound, and I was met with scorn and insults and all type of things, which is Twitter is no place for prof- profundity either. No, which is which is uh, which it is, is a place for scorn and insult. Yeah, it's, no, absolutely. It's part of the course. It's part of the course on Twitter anyway, especially when you when you discuss the Miami Dolphins. But I said a twenty-four to fourteen lead in the fourth quarter. Sometimes it's okay for your defense to hold the ten-point lead when. The other team is likely to mm-hmm. only have three to four possessions. Yeah, nobody wants to hear that. What do you make of that defensive performance? Can you just lay the loss at their feet, Simon? 
I mean, I thought they were abject. And I think you look around, actually, and realistically, and I think if you take Minka Fitzpatrick, you take Xavier Howard, you probably take Jerome Baker out of that equation. Mm. You look at everybody else, and, you know, Cameron Wake falls into the sort of the, the grey area because he's still good, but he's also now 36 and will be 37 next season. But you, you take those th- those three names out of the equation, and I'm not sure you couldn't say that every single one of them was eminently replaceable and should be eminently re- replaceable. You know, the mm-hmm. defensive line, you know, Quinn has just disappeared. Charles Harris played, and uh, and you would never have known. Um, the interior defensive line, we were just getting gashed in the run game. Uh, Kiko Alonso w- w- was fine. Make, you know, he made a few plays going forwards, but he's often making tackles 10, 15 yards down the field. He's often part of the reason why we're getting gashed in the run game. Raquan McMillan, the next time he makes a play will be the first time he makes a play. I mean, he, yeah, he forced the fumble, so that, you know, that's, you know, yeah. I kind of have to take that back. But you know what I mean? Yeah, but you, you know what I mean, generally. I mean, you know, the Alonso, yeah. the, the, the run, I think it was the Naheem Hines run in the, in the, on the yeah. Indianapolis penultimate drive when they were backed up to about their six. And then he runs round right end and down the sideline and Kiko inexplicably doesn't do anything, sort of almost helps funnel him down the sideline. You know, TJ McDonald was all over the shop. Uh, Rashad Jones looks, looks a shadow of himself. And all of a sudden you just think, you know, there's three guys there and the rest of them are just a bunch of guys who can't make plays. So, yeah, I kind of, you know, I, I do put it on the defensive shoulders. I just, you know, I just, I, I watch, I watch Indianapolis carve us to pieces and I look at other teams playing and carving other teams to pieces. And I just wonder why aren't we, why can't, why can't we do that? And also, why can't we stop other t- teams doing that? Because it seems to happen to us a- an awful lot. And the fact that, you know, I-, I don't think a really good punt, as Matt Hawke yet again had really good punts, I don't think a really mm. good punt for us means anything anymore. And I know the game has changed. I know offences, I know the rules have changed significantly, which means that, you know, it- it's easier for offences to move the ball. That's why games look sexier these days is because there are so many rule changes. And uh, But... I just don't think that a team backed up in its own six is, you know, that's not us expecting the field to be flipped. I just think it's us expecting to be driven on further than we would do if the ball was at the 20 or at the 30. I, I have no expectation that the Dolphins are going to force a three and out, especially against a quarterback who's in any way proficient, to which Andrew Luck patently is. So, yeah, I mean, I think you can hang it on a lot of elements, but I think the defence is certainly a massive one. I just don't understand how Matt But you know, I listened to Adam Gates today saying, you know, Matt Burke called a really good game and and I was like thinking did you watch you know I know you defend your guys but did you watch watch the same game I did because it that doesn't that wasn't the game I saw that's all he does I mean he does that he does that all the time um and you know generally he does that with the players I think a few times he cracks and and then you know he gets really called out for it because it looks like he's blaming the players and not blaming the coaches. And I yeah. think that that's true. Sometimes that's a fair criticism of Adam Gase. Um, I think he, he breaks sometimes and then, uh, and then it looks bad. Um, but yeah, the defense would, would they weren't going to stop the Colts on those no. final drives. And we knew that um, I'm surprised. I was surprised quite frankly throughout the game that they had been stopping the Colts. 
on other drives. I mean, they got uh, bailed out of a touchdown they because did. Xavier Howard made a, a phenomenal play that wasn't anything to do with him. He broke off his coverage to intercept the, the, the second ball, yeah. which would have been a touchdown if he hadn't done it. Uh, so, yeah. you know, and look, that's like saying, you know, if you remove the long pass to Leonte Carew, then Tannehill's numbers were, were, were far less significant. You can't remove individual plays because individual plays were made. But yeah, the point right. was that if Howard doesn't see that, doesn't break off his coverage and make the interception, then Ebron's scoring, the Colts are going in for another touchdown before halftime, and it mm. looks even uglier than it, you know, it's not even a contest at, at the end of the game. So, yeah, I just think, you know, without three or four players, you know, three or four players, you, you could just rip that entire defense up. And I, I don't think there's a... You know, I don't think there's a matter. That defensive line needs such a massive overhaul for next season if we're mm. to, you know, to be able to stop the run. If we're just not, you know, look, who was gashing us yesterday, by the way? It was Naheem Hines and James Wilkins. This is not Ezekiel Elliott and David Johnson or, you know, Saquon Barkley and, uh, you know, whoever. This is, you know, you know, they're both nice players, but come on, you know, it's not. And look at the receiving court beyond T.Y. Hilton. You know, look at the guys that were, that were carving us up, you know, especially when we're in, especially when we're in zone and stuff. Look at, you know, it's just, it's so frustrating. Well, it's, it's pretty obvious to me if you watch them play that they just have no concepts of how to play zone. Some of the guys that we have on, on defense, they just get way too wide, allow massive windows. And sometimes the perfect call is made, especially like on the one on the last Eric Ebron touchdown, that was a perfect call. And Raekwon McMillan usually would blow his assignment by getting a little bit too deep or getting a little bit too shallow. Well, this time he decides to get the proper depth. I thought he picked it off. Yeah, but I, he didn't shadow. He didn't shadow Ebron once he got past him. So if he shadows Ebron, then it's pretty simple. Andrew Luck can't see him. Chris, do you think it's players or schematic? Oh man, it has to be. It has to be the players, because uh, I said it earlier. Matt Burke, uh, he basically rolled bingo on that call, and one guy screwed it up, and that one guy was enough. Now another guy that I noticed early in the game, he was playing with his hair on fire. Was Robert Quinn? He played as good as I've seen him play all year for a quarter and a half, then completely disappeared the rest of the game. That's that's his mo all year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's, he will play like that for, you know, a spurt. And I posted like, it on wow. Twitter. I posted it on Twitter. And I was like, we, we're getting a good Robert Quinn game because he was just blasting off of that mm-hmm. corner. And there was even one play where he shed his tackle and Marlon Mack made a pretty nice cut inside, yeah. inside of the, the block that was made on him. He shed his guy and made a tackle that if he doesn't make that tackle, it's an 18-yard run. It was a good run. It was a good run play. And he was, he was good against the run for a short spurt, but um, Mar- it was Marlon Mack, by the way. Yeah. Not um, Wilkins that, uh, that was running all over us. Yeah, it was. Yards. And Marlon Mack, shout out to South Florida there. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, I, Cameron, by the way, I want to give some credit to Cameron Wake because, you know, despite what we say about some of the defensive players and the defensive line needing an overhaul and Robert Quinn kind of, doing his uh his in and out disappearing act uh Cameron Wake has been there pretty much the whole time and is having one of his finest seasons uh from a pressure standpoint he's he's at 20 percent pressure rate 
which means that he's pressuring the quarterback 20% of the time he's out there on a, on a pass rush snap, which is incredible. It's way, it's way above even his normal. Also, um, that egregious hold on, on the end, great Andrew Luck play. Oh, yeah. Castonzo essentially pulling back Andre Branch right in front of the official that didn't Absolutely. get called. I, I mean, I that, that was not called. I, I uh, thought that was, you know, I thought that, that was. was be, and that's, that's, that's overtime. And, that's yeah. overtime if that happens. Right? Uh, it was just an incredible miss. And the guy was looking straight at it. And I, I cannot yeah. understand for the life of me how that wasn't holding. And that is not a hometown call. That was, that was holding pure and simple. Yeah, and, let, and let me say something to the people on Twitter that were saying, well, okay. You get the holding penalty, and it's 10 yards, and it's 30 and 18, and maybe they convert it anyway. No, no, sir. That would have been a sack because yeah. the hold stopped a sack. Andrew, uh, Andre Branch was uh, two feet away from just square up hitting mm-hmm. Andrew Luck right and in the also- back. That third and eighteen play was probably a handoff. The, the the play that the Gaze called the the yeah, right. It was probably a handoff for five yeah, or six yeah, yards. And they punt the ball. And we, we go to overtime. That's sure. what it was. I, it was, was overtime. Was a terrible call. A terrible cute. call. Fans could get cute about it and you know do the do the whole like pessimistic thing. And we're used to it and we know it and we're we all do it. But um, but no, that was that holding call. They flag it or uh, or if it didn't exist, as you say, it was. Uh, it was overtime. That was going to overtime. What we would have done in overtime, I mean, you, you could say, hey, we probably would have lost anyway in overtime. I don't know. I don't I don't care. Probably neither here nor there. But the defense, if they weren't gonna enforce a turnover, they weren't gonna stop the the Colts. It was just it was turnover. It was either either turnover or they were gonna march down the field and score. Mm-hmm. And um and that do you put that on schematics? Do you put that on the players? I put it on teaching. I think the teaching is uh is is not good in Miami right now these guys are not um they're not learning things very well no and uh and so and and they're showing it over and over again so you you know is it those players well you look at the makeup of the players involved like Raekwon McMillan and you know his makeup as a player and his his studiousness and and um and for Rashad Jones the things that he's done over his career and uh and I, I don't I I don't think it's it's about player makeup and about their ability to, to really, you know, absorb teaching and absorb these schemes. I, I think, you know, they're just not being, I think there's some shoddy teaching going on. And that's, that's the sense that I get. You made a point Um, the other day, Chris, on our WhatsApp group about the coaches and players that aren't improving and therefore, you know, and you went position by position and it's true, isn't it? There's not, there's, there's no, you know, improving player where you can say, well, that's clearly down to coaching. I mean, look, yeah. Fitzpatrick's a good player. Xavier Howard's been a good player. He's been a developing good player for, sure. for now two a season and a half, two seasons, really. We've had a change of defensive back coach in that time anyway. So, but you can't pick a player on the roster and go, well, he's getting better and that's down to coach. Leonte Carew might be one, but I wonder whether or not Carew's more of a maturity thing and, and kind of being cut, being put on the practice squad. I mean, it's not like he's turned into DeAndre Hopkins, by the way, but, you know, I wonder if, you know, having been the third round pick that people gave up extra picks for, being on the brink, being cut, practice squad, that's made him, you know, work a little bit harder and, and kind of see that actually this game is for now and not for, you know. But I can't pinpoint another player on the roster and think, oh, yeah, he's improving and that must be down to coaching because you look at the tight ends, Kasiki's struggling. You look at the, you know, the running yeah. backs. Drake is less than he was last year. I suppose, I suppose Laramie Tunsil is playing better, but I would 
hazard that that's a natural progression as much as anything because sort of talent wasn't there, you know, at Old Miss or even in the first couple of years in Miami. There's not a player on the roster where you think coaching has really made him better. Yeah, if anything, Laramie Tunsil, you would have thought it would have happened sooner. Um, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I agree. and so, um, and Jawan yeah, James. He wasn't, he, was, he wasn't all that great last year. Yeah, for, and for all Jawan James, and and still at times this year, it's it's with the penalties, like, and that's yeah. still not gone away. And Jawan James, for as good as we know that he is, and as good as he is, uh, you know, able to play at times, um, he's and and I've heard I've heard people, I mean, I've seen fellow coaches talk about some of the technique that Miami uses, for instance, the tight ends and what and the techniques that they use as blockers, and um, you know, people that talk about Mike Gesicki's blocking and how terrible it is, the technique he's being taught to use and they question why why he's being taught exactly you know that technique it should be different well there was one way that you could have won while the dolphins lost and that's if we would have taken miami plus seven and a half on or Sunday. shot yourself <laughs> that that would have worked too although i don't consider that winning <laughs> but tell the tell our listeners how they could have done just that simon yeah we have a partner as i'm sure you know if you're a regular listener betdsi.com NFL season coming to an end painfully for us. NCAA season coming to an end. It's championship weekend this weekend. Um, so take your knowledge to the bank with betdsi.com. And to help we get started, they're offering double your money on your first deposit. So you deposit, start winning, and get up to $2,500 for free. That's free cash. Double your money from the get-go. When it comes to football, they have every wager you could ever want or imagine. So if it's happening in sport, they will put a line on it. The NFL, the NCAA, Major League Baseball, UFC, the Premier League, eSports. Join them today using promo code YARDS101. That's YARDS because that's what we are, 101, to get in the action and get paid. Do not stand on the sidelines. Enjoy the games that much more when you play at betdsi.com. So coming up, we will look at Adam Gaze his approval rating, as it were, um, <laughs> if that's a thing. And then we'll give you some game balls and we'll get the hell out of here. So um, there you go. Okay. Well, to his approval, I saw a poll today, this guy on Twitter, I can't remember his name. He was running a, a poll every single week this season. Do you approve of the job that Adam Gase is doing? And every single week, he was in the 70s. When we were 3-0, and he was at 79%. Okay? His approval? Late- Yes, approval. That's shocking. His last poll has him at 41% approval, Oof. which means... Still higher he, than Donald Trump. Yeah, <laughs> but barely, but barely, which would... Which, Ooh, that's true. Yeah, it, it, it really, really hurts to, it, to, for Adam Gates to be thinking about, well, you know, I'm safe around here. Because for the first time, I felt that the team underachieved, for lack of a better word. There was something left to be done. I was left wanting. Adam Gase, I didn't think, had produced what I expected of him for the first time just, in his tenure here. Just go for the throat in critical situations. Mm-hmm. I think that's what, we all, that's what we all want. Screen, you know, I understand why they run. People keep sending me messages on Twitter. I don't understand why we run screens. I, I do understand why we run screens. I don't understand why we run screens when we can't fucking block it. You know, <laughs> if you can't fucking block it, why are we doing it? I understand that you, you know, that's why we've got players like Jakeem and Albert and Kenny on the roster is that you're essentially you're essentially expecting one person to make some another person miss. If you can win a one-on-one battle and it gets blocked right, that can go almost every play. That can that could break, but we can't do it because we cannot block on the perimeter. So why are we doing it over and over? Just go for the jugular, attack down the field, 
you know, I think that's what people want to see. I'd rather see us get picked off. I'd rather see us, you know, get sacked, but at least give it a try. That's why I think people find so frustrating about what happened yesterday. And I think it's indicative, you know, you look at third downs over it, you know, hand the ball off. Into, how many times would you think in third and long do we, I'd love to know what our conversion rate on third and long is on a handoff over the last three seasons. Um, because I think it's probably about 3%. Uh, <laughs> but we do it a lot. And I think that's the thing about Adam Gay. I like Gay. I like his ballsiness. I like his chippiness. I think he. I think he does a great job at half time in terms of the way that he comes out and uh, and makes adjustments in the game plan and things. But I just think in critical moments, just you know, just be a bit more aggressive. Just be aggressive. Be, play to win the game. And I know it's a predictable thing to say, but you know, play to win the game. That's what we just. That's what we care about. That's what I find so frustrating about these things. And I think, you know, I, I can't recall, I don't think, a team that refused to compete consistently on third down the way that we do. And that's the frustrating thing. Yeah, I felt, I really did feel that this was his first real failure because I really do toss out last year. And 2016, I think, was a success by any, any, any measure. I don't care that they lost to the Steelers in the playoffs by a billion points. It didn't matter to me. I thought, I thought that season was a success. I thought last year they did get the worst quarterbacking in the entire league under Jay Cutler and Matt Moore. <laughs> so I, I tend to toss the entire season. But this year, man, I really do look at that Cincinnati game a little bit closer now. But this game, up 24-14, to 14, I expected a win. I did, I did not want to hear about even overtime. I expected a regulation win. And I saw earlier in the year one team fail to really put the, the Colts down, and that was the New England Patriots at home. The Colts kept coming right back at them. Colts were a decent team. And you know, and what, the Patriots cool you know what the Patriots did? When, when the Colts threatened to cut it under 21 points, the Patriots went back and put it up to 21 mm -hmm. points. So at the end, when they threw that touchdown pass to, to Eric Ebron, it really didn't matter. And they still won by two touchdowns. Like, I don't think we're all massive fans of Devontae Parker, but he, I think he only played like 24 snaps or something yesterday. And Gaze came out today and said that he wasn't injured, it wasn't the shoulder, it was just the personnel groupings in the second half. He wasn't matched up in. And we you think, uh, yeah, and then you think, look, he, you know, he had all that, those yards against Houston where he looked really good mm -hmm. on, on national television. And you think we're running personnel groupings with Mike Gasicki, who's just, you know, having an appalling season. Nico Leary played more snaps than, than, than Parker. And, you know, Bryce Butler played the same amount of snaps as Parker. And you think, what? I mean, he's only been in the team a week. What? what I don't Leontay, understand. Leontay Carew had as many. Leontay Carew. And I don't understand why in the second half, when you, you just put your foot on their throat, you're up by 10, start throwing to Parker. He's the first, he's, he's still a really, he's still a good player. He's not a mug. He's not, you know, and I know we, I, that, that to me, I just find mind boggling when, you know, Amandola's injured on the sideline. Why is Parker not playing every snap and why is he not being thrown to? I know that I noticed there, and and I I made the you know observation with us in the chat. I don't know how significant it is, but I saw him come up limping uh, at at different points in the game. I I think Parker's already on his next injury. It's like it's like Larry King with wives. I mean, he's on his next injury, um, and and that's that's what Devontae Parker is is as a player, and that's why he's not going to be here next year. Um, yeah. So you know, getting back, we're we're talking our. We're talking about gays, right? I mean, that's yeah. – yeah. first off, uh, Simon, you 
you ask the question, how many times have they run the ball third and long and actually converted? The answer is four uh, conversions on 20 tries uh, in the last uh, 2016 to 2018. So 20% of the time, third and eight to third and 12, they have actually converted the first down uh, when they ran the ball um, somehow. So, uh, and, and they've run the ball about what, you know, over the three years in total, um, the percentages, it's 87% pass and, and 13% run. So it's, um, it's about what the league is over the, you know, over that span, uh, which is a little surprising to me. I thought the runs would have been a little higher. I think that a lot of the pass plays are sort of give up pass plays, like little dump offs and, and stuff like that, that um, they sort of give up on the third and the third and long because they know they don't think they're going to convert it. And that's what he did the entire game. And that's what, what I posted a thread about earlier, um, which we already referenced earlier, we talked about. So as, as a coach, Adam Gase, you know, is, is he done? Uh, what's his approval rating? I mean, obviously his approval is down to its low. I think it's unfortunate now that I wonder if uh, we've sort of given birth to a narrative that will actually hurt him with the fact that he didn't call a pass play in those moments that he didn't call like he took the the ball out of after stumping for Ryan Tannehill you know he takes the ball out of his hands and that that sort of makes me wonder you know yeah maybe maybe that 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 is the the thing that could eventually take Adam Gase down I think the meter did move up a little bit on him on how hot his seat is yeah and we're going to get into that when we come back from break because Simon has to go to bed. It'll be me and Chris Kaufman for the second half of the show. But first, these words. This week on the Five Reasons Podcast, we put out four new episodes with John Krasinski on the Jimmy Butler Miami Heat trade talks. There are people within the Wolves organization that think the Heat were as responsible for that falling apart as the Wolves were. With Tom Haberser on the NBA. I was introducing Eric Spolster, the coach of the Miami Heat, and I say, hey, Eric, this is uh, my boss, John. John, this is Eric. And Ira walks by and goes, oh, congrats on your new job, Tom. Another one? <laughs> what, next week? Next week you're going to have another one? With former Dolphins quarterback Sage Rosenfels on his post-playing political work. Well, after I retired, I counted how much money I had. I knew what my budget was. And at one point I realized I had you money and I didn't give a what people <laughs> thought about what my politics were. And on the Dolphins win over the Jets. It is the worst offense in Dolphin history. They had guys named Dick Wood playing quarterback <laughs> before Greasy got here. Literally, his name is Dick Wood. Look it up. He's not, he's that's all, he's that's not, not true. Catch this and much more on the Five Reasons podcast, available in the same places you're listening to this podcast. Hey, this is Seth Levitt, and I am here with two-time Miami Dolphins team MVP. Seth, 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 man. They already know this is OJ McDuffie. Why don't you tell them what we're really here for? We're excited to join the crew at the Five Reasons Sports Network to bring you our new podcast, The Fish Tank, Dolphins Tales from the Deep. OJ, tell them what they can expect when they dive in. Yeah, Big Seth, we've got some of your favorite all-time Dolphin players in the tank sharing some of the best stories that you've never heard. So it looks like Sasquatch because he's <laughs> chasing me because you, you know Izzo with his clothes on. He's so hairy, that guy. <laughs> Why are you looking so, at me like I know yeah. Lizzo with his no, clothes off? Seth with his clothes off. So make sure you find the fish tank on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or if you're one of those Android people, Google Play Music, or on several cross-platform apps, including Podbean and Stitcher. Thanks for diving in. And we're back on Three Yards for Carry. It's me, Alfredo Aitiaga, with Chris Kaufman. 
But first, a word from one of our best sponsors, and that's AutoNation. Since AutoNation is America's largest automotive retailer, chances are they have the vehicle you're looking for. Shop for over 100,000 new cars, trucks, vans, and sport utilities. From the luxury of a Mercedes-Benz to that Chevy pickup truck you always wanted, they've got it. AutoNation helps finance over 430,000 people every single year. And you could be next. Get a great rate today. AutoNation strives to make the car buying process quick and easy, but most of all, stress-free. In addition to an extensive selection, all pre-owned vehicles go through a rigorous 125-point inspection and come with an everyday low, no-haggle price. One price, no pressure, guaranteed. Start your search right now at AutoNation.com. Well, Chris, somebody returned to the lineup this weekend, and that first drive was absolute sex. That first <laughs> pass to Durham Smith, wow, what a shotgun blast. Uh, was uh, it? I, well, no, but um, it was good. It was uh, – so – this was one of those passes. It's uh, it always looks really impressive on the game, uh, the game feed because when these passes go straight forward, you know they they're not going to the side at all. Then um, then you get the you the camera or you the viewer, you know, from the camera angle that you have are getting like the full, you know, the full blast of speed on the ball. It was um, it was not actually Ryan Tannehill's usual velocity, uh, not quite anyway it was mostly there I'd say probably about 95 percent there 90 to 95 percent of what he is usually going to do on a pass at that distance uh, and I do regularly regularly time and measure these things um, so it, it was interesting uh, I think that it was a nice throw to show that he is an NFL capable thrower right now and that's what he was during the game he was an NFL thrower during the game he was not his usual self because ryan Tannehill's usually usual self has a lot of think about think about in the jets game remember the the jets game when um when he sort of uh floated back there in the pocket and and looked around you know one way or the other and then squeezed one right up the right up the field into the end zone to i believe is aj derby caught that one mm -hmm. um that was a shotgun blast that was a missile okay that that at that distance, you know, that was, that was Ryan Tannehill's, um, Ryan Tannehill really at himself at his best. This one was good. Um, it was more of a, uh, you know, I'd call it a Teddy Bridgewater than a, uh, than a Ryan Tannehill. But um, the other ones actually of, of more concern is that the two deep balls that he had, uh, the, the one that he, he hit to uh, Leonte Carew and, um, and the one that he, uh, later or that he threw uh to kenny stills uh, which was nearly intercepted um those floated more than his as usual for him uh and that's you know again this is about this is not about whether this is nfl worthy or whatever um those balls with how they came out if it were a um if it were a draft prospect i would say that they need to drive the ball a little bit better um, they were not used – they were not Ryan Tannehill's usual as far as his deep ball is concerned. But it's really okay. It's, it's probably a moot point. This, this didn't have an effect on the game. Um, he, you know, he, they, showed, they showed that they were right, that he's you know, mostly back, mostly has his velocity, um, fully capable of playing and throwing in an NFL game, which he showed 
and um, and that uh, you know we can start to put to bed this uh, this injury business. Yeah, what I found kind of interesting is I thought that his throw to Kenny Stills was a little bit better than it looked because mm-hmm. of his uh, the platform he threw it from. Mm-hmm. It was basically almost all arm because mm-hmm. he was kind of flat footed. He couldn't step into the throw. I think if he steps into the throw, he might gain a little bit more air under the ball. And mm-hmm. Kenny Stills has a shot, even though if that ball doesn't get tipped, that ball falls falls right into the bucket where Kenny Stills is waiting to catch it. It was a big throw. It was like it was about. I think I had it at about fifty-one yards um, uh, through the through the air, and you know, so it was a pretty big. It was or fifty-two. Sorry, um, it was a pretty big throw. Uh, and for him, like you said, to do it all arm, that was pretty good. Uh, but as far as you know, speed goes, or the trajectory, really, how high the arc was and everything, um, it, it, you know, came out came out to something that we would see from, for example, a Daniel Jones. Uh, of Duke, who's, you know, I've criticized for his arm strength, um, and several others have as well. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it was lofted. It was, it was definitely, it definitely had a, a nice high arc. Um, it kept its spin. Uh, it was, it was a pretty good ball. It was, it was just not what he's capable of. What we've seen him do. Yeah. Now the one that everybody likes to point at because. You know, it was such a visual was Leonte Carew's mossing of whoever that was. <laughs> that was a hell of a catch. For a 74-yard touchdown. And let's give a little credit where it's due. Leonte Carew is turning into a really, really good special teams player. Yeah, he, he made those, like, those fumble recoveries, those big fumble recoveries in, game, in a, co- a couple games back. Yeah, and none. He has, he has like, about seven tackles this year on special yeah, teams, too. So he's been very, very good. And let me, let me just give a, a very quick shout-out to a guy who I think should be a pro bowler. And it's, and I'm not mm-hmm. going to mention Xavier Howard because he should. Walt mm-hmm. Aikens. Walt Aikens. Yeah, he had a hell of a cannot blast on go a game without making another great play on special teams. And he was, he was also spectacular yesterday on special teams. He also has a, yeah. an interception to, to pad the resume. So he should be on the pro bowl team as well. But the play that everybody likes to point to was that Leonte Carew play. And, you know, it's, it's pretty hard to start arguing one way or the other. You watch the, the ball float out there, and it does look like it's hovering out there. Yeah. It look like it's getting out there with, a little, with enough power. Leonte Carew does have, I wouldn't say a step, but he has position, let's say. And Leonte's a pretty big guy. Have you ever watched him in practice? He's, he's thick. He's built well. He's yeah, not, like, the measurements aren't, like, huge, but he's built well. Yeah, so if he doesn't have a step on you, but he has position, position can turn into a yard separation. And a yard separation in the NFL could mean a 75-yard touchdown, which that's what happened. But he didn't ha- he would have not had to made, make a spectacular play if the ball was delivered better. What did you mm-hmm. see on that throw as far as distance? And were, was that where maybe his injury reared its ugly head? I think so. I think um, at that distance, 140 feet, uh, we're talking, you know, hell, I've seen, I've seen guys like Carson Wentz at 140 feet um, drive it, you know, drive a ball uh, like, like you would see them at a, a hundred feet, you know, um, as far as the trajectory the ball takes and therefore, and how much, um, how much speed it has 
you know, from start to finish. Um, so, and this was clearly not that it was floated. Um, and it, uh, and so it, it didn't come off as a good throw, but I, for, I tend to forgive him because if you look at the play, you know, he's, he's kind of rolling a little bit to his right and coming back across and, and is, you know, awkward. He's about to be blasted and hit. Uh, if you look, um, it's yeah. so, you know, it's, Hey, let's, let's forgive him here. Uh, this is, this guy's coming back from a pretty serious injury as we've reported, um, or a serious, a couple of injuries actually. And, uh, and so, and he's about to be hit on that play. He's coming back, he's scrambling, he's off platform. He's not, um, he's, you know, he's not going to sit there and really squeeze that ball in. Uh, so we'll forgive him. It's not worth, it's not really worth nitpicking to me. Uh, I think that, the defensive back on that play had horrendous coverage of it. Um, yeah. You know, for, for as, for as much as he was there, you know, he would, he might as well have not been there. Um, so, I mean, he just took himself out of it. So yeah, Leonte crew definitely mossed the guy and made a great catch, a great play. He was the guy that, that timed it, you know, really well and timed it the best and, and did a fantastic job with it. The defensive back definitely did not, <laughs> And that's why he made the big play. Now, what did you make of my theory that that I expounded on in the last podcast, which was coming off of the injury, he's going to have most of his power, but he could fade during the game as maybe some pharmaceuticals wear out and the pain starts <laughs> to return. Now, is there any evidence that he lost power and velocity and strength in his arm during the game? First off, the Kenny Stills throw, you're right, the Kenny Stills throw was a better throw, uh, a better quality throw than the, um, than the one to Leontay Carew. Yeah. That one came earlier as well. The, so the, the one that, uh, that came straight up the gut uh, that was, you know, the, on the first drive, obviously that was really early in the game, very first drive. The Kenny Stills one came, I believe, uh, at – it was third and 12. I think it was nearly to the end of the first quarter. And then the Leonte Carew one, wasn't that in the second quarter? Yeah, it was in the second um, quarter. Right and then the from then on, from then on, you can go through all of his throws and you're not going to find, like, if, if I were, if I were trying to figure out and like, you know, isolate throws to, to measure and, and do a speed thing on, I, I wouldn't have even found any, <laughs> you know, just like yeah. there's, there's nothing. There's nothing worth. There's nothing worth capping here, and nothing worth um, measuring because uh, because these are all dump offs. These are all uh, touch throws. These are all you know. There's nothing. There's nothing here. Um, and you can go through large stretches with a Tom Brady that way, uh, with a Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but uh, you know, it's not as usual to go through large stretches that way with a Ryan Tannehill. And, uh, and so that made you raise your eyebrow just a little bit and say, well, wait, why isn't, you know, why isn't he trying to make something happen with his arm, um, in the entire second half? And, uh, and so that's, you know, raise your eyebrow a little bit, but then again, we knew that, I mean, we kind of, he's not going to go out there and throw 40 throws and, and, you know, with, with 10 of them being, you know, deep shots and stuff like that. He just, he just can't do that. Uh, you gotta be smart about it. And for that, that kind of further complicates the, the issue that everybody's really harping about on with Adam Gase and his play calling is you know, I think people forget, you know, Tannehill's back, Tannehill's back, you know, well, he's back, but 
you know, it's not, he's not problem free. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. And he is lacking some talent. And mm-hmm. one of those guys is, I, I, can we be done with the Ted Larson experiment? Oh, please. This was like, we keep saying this was his worst game yet. This was his worst game yet. <laughs> now, now I'm going to say it one more time. This game was his worst as a Miami Dolphin. Every day, Ted Larson is the worst Ted Larson that Ted Larson has ever been. <laughs> yes. Uh, like, he strive. I think he takes pride in it. Like, like uh, he decided, I'm not blocking anybody today. I'm just not. And not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to have two drive-killing penalties. Two! It's tough. It's disappointing because I thought he could do better. I, I really did. I, I mean, I... Never been particularly high on Ted Larson. Always thought and considered him just a backup. You never want him starting, but he can come in for you for a game or two, you know, stuff like that. And I think that's about that's probably about what he did. He came in for a game or two and was all right. Um, but uh, you know, that's it. And it's just it's very disappointing because when you look at what Jake Grendel did uh, when he played in his place, when you look at what Wesley Johnson did when he played in his place, I mean why are they still putting them out there? Uh, there? There are other guys that can go in there and, and play. I mean, Wesley Johnson, as far as I know, is still on the roster, isn't he? Um, yeah. Yeah, he as far know, as he, I know, yeah. He can play, he can play better uh, than, than Ted Larson can. I mean, Ted Larson has been, has been absolutely atrocious. Um, you, yeah. can, you can put anybody you want. You can put anybody you want. You could yeah, just, just pick a name out of a hat. Yep. Free agent waiver wire. Just throw, put up the, the free agent waiver wire and put like yep. a poster in Tannenbaum's office and have Chris Greer throw a dart. And wherever it lands, just sign that guy and yep. then play him. And he'll play just as good or maybe even better <laughs> than, than, than Ted Larson. He was absolutely atrocious yet again. And that falls right into Adam Gase's lap because yep. he's a player on his offense. We talked about it right before going to break about Gase's approval number, quote-unquote approval number. <laughs> Ethan Skolnick of the Five Reasons podcast and the boss of the Five Reasons Sports Network was retweeting what is, I guess you can call the local intelligentsia. <laughs> it's uh, Will Manso. It's, you know, it's also <laughs> Stephen A. Smith, of all people. Rip oh, boy. Yeah, so Adam Gase is coming up in the world. <laughs> nice. He's getting you got Stephen, a, you a fell on Stephen radar. <laughs> okay, but it was about eight or nine people, and it was basically the who's who of mm. local sports and Stephen A. Smith. And if that seat is not hot, it is warm as hell. Yeah. What did you make of this? If I'm if I'm Gase, I'm seeing the barbarians at the gate. Yeah, I think that. Um you know, you have to be careful because, you know, when you sell out on a guy, you, you tend to have a way of, um, not you, Alf, but I mean, you know, the everybody, uh, you tend to have a way of kind of interpreting every new development through that lens and, uh, and continuing forward with, with the narrative. And, um, and I think, you know, you do have to keep the broader view. And we're talking about a guy who is, uh, what is it now? Um, he's uh, he's twenty one and twenty two. Twenty one and twenty two as a head coach made the playoffs inexplicably in uh, in twenty sixteen, um, which a lot of people tend to forget. Uh, he's five and six right now. It's not like he's five and eleven. You know, 
and, and then the loss that we're coming off of in Indianapolis in a game that that you were the nine point eight point whatever that point was underdog, um, and and now we're killing them for it. And I, I get it that it's it's more of a you know it's not about the it's not about the fact that you lost it's it's how you lost blah 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 you know what about that third and ten call and stuff like that. Listen, there are reasons these coaches do everything. And they're always a lot – it's always a lot closer than you think it is. Everybody thinks it's a no-brainer with that third and ten, uh, you know, on the six-yard line. And I've shown the analytics on Twitter to show, say, well, listen, I can agree with you and say ultimately you should have thrown the ball here, but um, it's not a no-brainer. <laughs> it's not really. Uh, and that's not – so I think that um, – I think that that's – that's what people have to keep in mind about these things uh, is Stephen Ross is in the end, he's going to look at this. He's going to say, you know, what does Adam Gates bring to the table? What do we not have? Can we, can we bring things to the table to help Adam Gates that and, and, and build a team? Cause this is about build, building a team, right? It, this isn't, yeah. you know, this isn't one guy doesn't do everything, you know? So uh, can we build a team? and supplement what Adam Gase does well with things that, uh, that haven't been happening very well and get better and be a complete team that way. You know, can we get a better defensive coordinator? Can we get some help for Adam Gase on um, maybe, maybe some help for him on offense? Maybe somebody he does trust to call the plays. Uh, maybe somebody who can help him with scripting plays or, you know, some better a guy better than – uh, Dow Loggins, or you know, if if that's necessary, maybe Dow Loggins himself is part of the answer. I don't know. Um, they're going to try to figure that out. And in the end, do I think that it's Adam Gase that's going to be that's going to be blown up? No, no, I don't. And that's what I think that is dangerous to start going full throttle into this into this narrative and about everything is Gase's fault. Everything is Adam Gase. Because, you know, hey, before, remember, everything was Jeff Ireland's fault. We got rid of Jeff yeah. Ireland, and then, and then um, well, things didn't really change there, did they? Everything was no. Joe Philbin's fault. Got rid of Joe Philbin, and, you know, it's not like we're that much better than – we are better than where, where Joe Philbin was. But um, everything was Tony Sperano's fault. Well, you know, got rid of Tony. Did things get better? No. <laughs> everything, everything is always somebody's fault, and it's always somebody taking all the heat. And, um, and, you know, it's rarely accurate. And that's, uh, that's, that's the point that I would like to make. Yeah. And I was saying this the other day, I saw, I saw this argument made on Twitter that Sean Payton and I found the articles, Sean Payton went 25 and 23 in his first three years in new Orleans with Drew Brees. He went 10 and six, seven and nine and eight and eight. And he had mm -hmm. Drew Brees for all of it. Okay. And I saw the argument made that they wanted some people were, you know, some writers in New Orleans were starting to wonder aloud that off season. And that was the off season right before they won the Super Bowl, by the way, <laughs> they were wondering, maybe we always. should, maybe we should fire this guy and get somebody to really, you know, take Drew Brees to the next level. And oddly enough, one of the names in one of the articles was Mike McCarthy of all people. Ooh. was being mentioned okay now what do you say to the guy who makes that argument like a, like look if they would have fired sean payton at 25 and 23 it would have been a huge mistake but the flip side is that sean payton was having very good results 
from his mm-hmm. offense in those three years where he went 25 and 23, while Adam and, Gase is – And we not. haven't. <laughs> so and, – and that that should be the reason why he should probably be evaluated or just straight up fired this offseason. What did you make of that? I think that um, I think that's a fair point. You know what gets you hired gets you fired, and, and Adam Gase is here to produce good offense. He hasn't produced good offense overall. He's only produced good offense with Ryan Tannehill at home. I mean that's that's too specific. You need to be able to to have good offense in all situations. You know, be able to start out games a hell of a lot better than they do. Although they finally had a touchdown on the on the first drive of the game in this in this game, and it yes. didn't matter. <laughs> and 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 what did I say in the in the preseason preview pod? Yeah, Chris, I said, what did I want? I demanded three touchdowns on the road. Remember? Yeah. Well, they got three touchdowns and they lost anyway. Yeah, they lost. <laughs> so. so they- you know, and remember that they, they started out fast. If I recall, they started out kind of fast against the Cincinnati Bengals as well, and they lost that game. Yes. Um, so, and, and the yeah. Jets, and to be fair, they started off like a house on fire against the Jets, and yep, then they just right. really just ran out the clock for an entire yeah, half. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of – the Jets were coming back, and then, it like, you know, kind of just petered out. All right, that's it. There is no more. When we talk to you guys again, we will talk about the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, yeah, that team. Guess what? <laughs> They're playing a little bit better. And if you lose that one, I might just, you know, break everything in my house on air (laughs) next week. But till then. Thanks for listening to Three Yards Per Caddy. You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.